0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. So for those who were away last weekend, want to welcome you back as well. Uh, You notice that we're taking uh, a break from the Gospel of Mark. Our normal practice is to be walking through a book of the Bible, and we're at Mark 7 right now. We've been in it since September. Uh, But for the next six weeks, we're stepping away, and we're focusing on what it means to be the church. And so uh, to start off with, with, we want you to have a Bible in your hands. And so uh, ushers would love to bring you one. Just slide your hand up, and they'll put one in there. If you don't have a Bible at home, that is yours. That's your gift uh, from us and uh, so, with that, let's be turning to the book of Acts, uh, chapter two. Acts chapter two, and we're going to be looking at verses forty-two to forty-seven. Now, like I said, uh, we are stepping away from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking at Acts here uh, this morning. Acts two, chapter uh, Acts chapter two, verses forty-two to forty-seven. And it's a timely thing for us, uh, because we as a church, uh, we are young, we are, uh, we've been around for about a year and a half as a launched church, and we need to focus our eyes on what it means to be God's people for his glory. Uh, and so we're also moving towards being members of this church, and so that's one of the reasons we're doing this as well. And what we're interested in here at Redemption Church is what God has to say. We're interested in what God has described and what he has prescribed in his word regarding the church. Now, last week, I presented kind of a, a high-level uh, biblical theology of, of the assembled people of God's glory uh, for his namesake. We looked at the Old Testament, right? And then we looked at the New Testament, and we looked at uh, the fact that Jesus Christ himself is building his church. So in the Old Testament, we looked all the way back to the first two people that were created, uh, Adam and Eve, as they are image bearers of, uh, of the Lord uh, for his namesake in community, And we see that throughout all the Old Testament. Uh, God didn't just save Noah. He saved Noah and his family. Uh, God didn't just save Abraham. He saved Abraham and his descendants. Um, Also, the same goes with Moses and the Israelites and then on up into the New Testament church. God's plan was and is always to save a people from their sin and then also to save a people to the church. And so as you look around this morning, we need to remember that uh, uh, you're not only just saved from your sin, but you are saved to each other, the body of Christ. He has specifically saved you to his church, and it's the church that Jesus is building, and his Holy Spirit is indwelling both universally around the world and locally expressed here at Redemption Church, Calgary South. So it's an old thing, it's a new thing, it's his thing. It's more than a building, it's more than A weekly event. It's more than a social institution. It's the body of Christ. It's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth. It's the bride of Christ. It's the family of God. It's the army of the Lord. It's the sanctified flock. It's the chief instrument of hope for a lost and dying world. And more than all of that, it's the epicenter of God's visible glory here on earth. So now that we have a bit of a biblical theology of what the church is, let me ask you this morning, what does a New Testament church look like? What does the church look like? What's it supposed to look like? What exactly are we to be doing together as the body of Christ? If we are to be the assembled people for God's glory, how are we to bring God glory? Well, my prayer is that over the next five weeks as we seek the scriptures and we seek God's word for the answers to this very question, this question, how do we glorify God together as the church? And we're going to look at how God does that through us. And we're going to look at some things that we do, how we look, and what we trust in as well. But first this morning from Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47, we're going to see that God's people bring God glory When God's people abide together, the church abides together, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Your written word before us. We thank you that your Lord, or that your word this morning is sufficient, that it is living and, and active, and that your Holy Spirit wrote this through men exactly what you determined to write to us this morning, so that we can understand what it means to know Jesus, to follow Him and to be the church. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can study the church because we want to be your church. We want to be your church that you are building. And so we're seeking your word to discover what it means to be your church. So for each of us individually, help our hearts to understand, our minds to comprehend what you have for us from your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be actively working among us, illuminating your word to us, guiding us into all truth, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, if you know the context of the book of Acts, you'll know that this this book was written by Luke, uh, and it is a history of the birth of the church. And it's also a record of the spread of the gospel throughout the known world in in the first century by the apostles. In chapter 1, of Acts begins with Jesus, our resurrected Savior. He's, he's appearing to and instructing his disciples for 40 days. And then he's promising to send his spirit after he ascends to heaven. He says in chapter 1 verse 8 that, that his apostles, his disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And they will be God's witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's, he's promising that as he goes, he'll send his spirit. And through that, he will build his church through his people to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish harvest celebration, the Holy Spirit mightily and powerfully comes down like a rushing wind, and he fills his disciples, giving birth to the church, and then they supernaturally proclaim the gospel in many different languages of all the Jews that were visiting Jerusalem at that time for the festival. And these Jews heard the gospel in their own language. And they were amazed and they were astonished. And then right on the heels of that, the Apostle Peter stands and preaches a powerful sermon all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls the people to believe in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, God himself, did what only he could do. We see in verse 41, just before our text today. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. In one day, 3,000 people come to saving faith and are baptized and are brought into the church. It's amazing. One sermon, 3,000 people. Jesus is building his church. And then this next section that we're looking at today, verses 42 to 47, gives us our very first glimpse into what a New Testament church is to look like. We're seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing among the assembled people. And the first thing that we see here this morning is that God's people are abiding in God together. They are abiding in God together. And this is marked by four kind of foundational distinctives that we see here. And the first foundational distinctive we see is that they are devoted to receiving God's word together. Devoted to receiving God's word together. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word that is being preached. That's the word That you have in your hands this morning. And then verse 43 says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so the first thing that we see here being modeled for us in the very first church is the primacy of God's word. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. We see that the apostles' teaching was the primary guiding foundation for the church, and they were holding fast to it. You see, the early first century church, Christians didn't have what you have. They didn't have the New Testament in their hands. At that time, the Holy Spirit was still writing the New Testament, the Bible. Yes, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but God was writing the New Testament that we have today. They didn't have that. And he, was, and he was showing them through the apostles as they were specially indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Remember, these men were just 12 ordinary men, but they were extraordinarily empowered by God's Spirit to do his work and to speak his word to his people, 2 Peter 1, 19-21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how God wrote his word. That's how you have this book with his words in your hand today so we have to remember that the apostles teaching at that time was god's special revelation to mankind it was his word and the people understood this and they devoted themselves to it we just heard that the apostle the apostle peter just stood up and he preached a powerful sermon And he was teaching from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the one who was resurrected from the dead. And he's calling the Jews to repent and be baptized. And as the people listened to his sermon, their eyes of their hearts were opened and they believed. And then they began to understand that these apostles, these ordinary men who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, they now had the divine authority to speak God's word to God's people and to teach it. And now we have it today in our hands. It's amazing. This is exactly what Jesus promised. He said in John 14, 26, we looked at this briefly last week, he said, the Holy Spirit will come and will teach you all things this is a promise for his apostles and he will bring to your remembrance all that i said to you so as we've seen jesus as he taught his disciples for that 3 years of ministry and then even after his resurrection now as jesus has ascended the holy spirit who filled the church was now guiding and empowering the apostles to remember and teach exactly what jesus wanted them to teach And then verse 43 shows us that God affirmed their teaching. He affirmed their teaching through signs and wonders. And the response from the people who were watching is awe. Awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. God is affirming that their message is from him. So brothers and sisters, if we want to glorify God, If we want to glorify God as his assembled people, we need to start first by abiding in his word. Just like the church in Acts, we need to devote ourselves to his word together. The whole context of this section, they do everything together. This is a primary distinctive for any New Testament church. It's a primary distinctive for us. This is what drives our church to make things like this, just our our foundational statements. And the first one is bold preaching. We believe in the teaching of God's word. We believe in bold preaching and teaching. We, we, We don't want to give man's opinion. We don't want cultural concepts, but we want God's very word. Now, just this past week, I was reminded about a church that I visited many years ago. It was a nice church, nice building, friendly people good worship band. But when it came to the sermon, instead of God's word being opened and carefully preached, what happened was we ended up watching clips from a movie called Cheaper by the Dozen. And then the pastor got up and he began to teach moral concepts from the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. Is this what it means to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? of course not but sadly this is the direction of some churches today instead of holding fast to god's word they're they're running away from it or they're tragically misusing it and abusing it one prominent church leader out there today is actually teaching that we should stop saying things like the bible says he says it's because it's culturally irrelevant And now he's even saying that we should unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. The Old Testament should not be taught, is what he's saying. Sadly, that is not devoting oneself to the Word of God and at its direction of some churches today. And we promise you as a church that instead of running from God, we're going to run to it. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble. And contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. We have to be careful how we approach God's word. God is holy. He is just. He is perfect. His word is sufficient. It is authoritative over us. And so we we want to be a God, a, a people assembled for God's glory. That means that we meet we need to tremble at God's word. We need to be in awe at what God has revealed to us corporately through his word and we need to shape our church based on this. This means that we read it together. This means that we study it together. This means that we meditate on it together. We we memorize it together. We apply it together. We counsel it to one another. We pray it together. We pray for each other in it. We sit under a regular diet of God's Word faithfully taught and preached. The Holy Spirit always leads His church to His Word, never away from it. John Stott said in his commentary, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. The Word of God is primary. It's foundational. If God really wrote a book, how much more should we cling to that book? How much more should we, should we be turning to it together? Should we be turning away from the world and turning to the truth of Scripture? How much more should we be forsaking our own folly and seeking the wisdom of God through His Word? How much more should we... T- be together embracing the gospel as revealed here, pursuing God's will as revealed here. If we want to be God's people assembled for God's glory, the Bible has to be our primary foundation. Because without it, we don't even know who Jesus is. Without it, we don't know what salvation is. Without it, we don't know what eternity brings. Without it, we don't know what the gospel is. And so we see that the first century church knew this and they held fast to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so do we. Next, we see a second foundational distinctive here. That an abiding, God-glorifying church is also devoted to sacrificial fellowship together. Verse 42, halfway through. They devoted themselves to fellowship And then verse 44, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So we see here they're devoting themselves to fellowship. Koinonia, which literally means to partner with or to share in something. And so what we're seeing on display here in the first New Testament church is that the gospel of Jesus Christ produced such an indwelling, abiding glory of God in his people that he's producing love for one another. And they were fully devoted to partnering and to sharing together in the Christian life together. And this is even further proven, as Luke records, that they were together And they had all things in common, which means they were selling their possessions. They were selling their property in order to help as any had need. (coughs) What devotion, what fellowship, what love these people had for one another. Look at what the Spirit of God and the apostles' teaching was doing amongst them. What devotion! Would you say that that's uncommon today? I would say it's uncommon, right? Now when I say fellowship to you, when it comes to the church, we often think about food, we think about potlucks, we think about small chat, we think about all kinds of things that we can be doing together. Now these can definitely be be a part of fellowship, and they should be, but we often reduce fellowship to those things. But what we're seeing here in this koinonia fellowship, in this sharing and in this partnering, it's more than coffee. It's it's more than a visit. It's more than potlucks. It's more than fun gatherings. Koinonia fellowship involves self-sacrifice. And we do this together. You see, these believers in the first church, they understood the sacrifice of the cross. They understood what Jesus meant when he said he's going to lay down his life for his friends. They understood Jesus in 1 John 3:16, "By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our down our lives for our brothers." They didn't let materialism get in the way. They didn't let consumerism get in the way. They truly loved their brothers and their sisters and Jesus Christ, and they gave of themselves. They were compelled by the gospel. They were compelled by the same love that saved them. I mean, they're selling their possessions and their belongings. They distributed the proceeds after they sold those to anybody as they had need. They didn't pay lip service to this. They actually stepped in to the situations of need and they sacrificed what they had for the welfare of others. And if you look at the historical context, it reveals the great need that these people had. Remember that these were new Christians. Uh, they were Christians who came to faith Previous to that, they were Jews from all over the Roman Empire. And they spoke all these different languages. And now they heard the gospel in their own language. And now they're saved and they are a part of the church. And at home, there was no church. And so many of them wanted to stay with the church in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they had great need. Because they didn't pack to move to Jerusalem. They were just coming for... A visit. And so we see that these new local Jewish Christians needed help. They needed jobs, they needed homes, they needed food. And so the Jews who were Christians who were now living in Jerusalem previous to that, they started to sell their stuff so that they could help their brothers and sisters in need. We have much to learn from that. They were spirit-filled and open-handed They were open-handed with their stuff. They were open-handed with their food, with their homes, and with their money. They truly lived out, what's mine is yours. Again, what we see on display here is such love. Jesus says in John 15, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They loved each other. Now, over the history of our church here, over the past, it's been around two and a half years we've been together as a core group and then as a launch church, I've witnessed a lot of love in you. I really have. And it's been encouraging. When someone needs to move, we're on it. When someone's down and out, you're helping. You're providing their needs. When there's been a medical situation or there's been a new birth, uh, you're all over it and getting meals prepared. You are loving one another. And, and, and that encourages my heart as I see that the Spirit of God is actively at work in this church. That's awesome. It's really, really awesome because God is doing work in you. True fellowship is taking place among us. This love that we have for one another, we have to remember, is born outside of ourselves. It's the love that comes from Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit produces more love in us, and as he grows us, We love each other all the more. But can we agree there's always more room for more love? There's always more room for more sacrificial fellowship, is there not? How much more should we sacrifice our own comfort for another church family member? How ready are we to interrupt our plans for the sake of someone else? How committed are we as a church to prioritizing Koinonia fellowship among us? Some good questions for us to be pondering as we apply what we're seeing here into our own lives. So, as we seek to be God's assembled people for God's glory here at Redemption Church, let us devote ourselves all the more to fellowship. And we're going to dig much more into that in our sermons to come of what it means to connect as a church. But as we continue in our text today, next we're going to see a third foundational distinctive for us as a church. And it's, it's seen here in verse 42C again and on that they were devoted to regular worship together. 42C, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is the ordinance of of the Lord's Supper that we're seeing here. And then verses 46 to 47 and day by day, attending the temple and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so we see here, foundationally, that the first church was incredibly active. They were extremely active in gathering for worship together, both in the public space at the temple and in each other's homes. It says that they were breaking bread. They were attending the temple. And it says they were doing so day by day, and they were praising God. This is active, corporate worship together. Now, the temple was the only place big enough For these thousands of newly converted Christians to gather together, they would meet in Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico. I got a picture of it there, I believe. So that would be where that red arrow is, that's Solomon's portico, similar to the other side with this open space, a place large enough for them to be meeting. And uh, then it also says that they were meeting in each other's homes. But when we look at Solomon's particle, the larger gathering together, uh, we see also in Acts 3.11 and John 10.23 that it was a place that Peter would go and he would stand and he would boldly preach to God's people. And these people would gather there and they were worshipped without shame. In the shadow of the temple the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old System, the New Testament church would stand and worship the Lord without shame. And they did this day by day. Day by day. And also in each other's homes as well. But when we look at that phrase, day by day, if we can be honest with one another, sometimes we just have a hard time getting to church, being with God's people once a week. Sometimes we let other things get in the way. Other priorities are taking precedence in our lives. You know, one of the the challenges of our Western culture is that we elevate earthly pursuits and hobbies and, and things so highly that they come before being with God's people in a regular assembly. Sometimes we even just let little things get in the way, right? Maybe we're having a bad week. Maybe life is throwing us lemons. Maybe we're just not feeling up to it. And instead of running to worship with God's people together, we retreat to isolation. We give in to that temptation. So when you hear that, just think about the first century church. How hard do you think that life was for them? Just finding food moving through the week day to day. And yet day to day, they gathered together. And they were gathering in each other's homes. They were praising God. They were celebrating the gospel. And they were breaking bread continually together. They led lives of communal worship. They couldn't get enough of God, and they couldn't get enough of each other. And they did this with the greatest delight and joy. And in that joy, they couldn't get enough of gathering with others who shared that same joy, the church. And so as we think about that, and we think of of their dedication and their devotion, and, and day by day, how they get together, we need to think about the delight that they had in the Lord, the joy that they had in Jesus Christ, and we need to ask ourselves, how do we get that delight how do we pursue the joy of gathering together? Well, first thing we need to do is is to stop believing the lies from the world. Stop believing the lies that we're telling ourselves, that the flesh uh, is telling yourself. And we need to choose to believe that our greatest delight is in Jesus Christ alone. And it's on beautiful display as we gather together as God's assembled people for God's glory. As much as they worshiped so regularly and joyfully, they also worshiped obediently. It says here that they were breaking bread, which really refers to uh, sharing meals together as a community, but it also most definitely means that they were celebrating the Lord's Supper, this ongoing ordinance given to us by Jesus Christ. We have to remember that communion, the Lord's Supper, was instituted and commanded by Christ as a picture, right? As as a a picture, an ordinance to help us to remember the gospel, to remember the sacrificial death of our Savior. Uh, The broken bread, of course, symbolizes his broken body, and the wine symbolizes the blood poured out for us. And so communion, as they were celebrating, is a picture to remind God's people of the gospel because we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to let other things cloud our eyes from the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we see that that the Lord's Supper, communion, the breaking of bread together, is an earthly picture of an eternal reality that Jesus himself gave to us Revealing the gospel, revealing that Jesus Christ, God himself, lived the sinless life that we could never live. And he died the death that we deserve because he loved us so much. Our bodies should have been beaten. Our bodies should have been nailed. We should have been scourged. Our blood should have been poured out. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So sometimes in the middle of a hard week, or even a great week, we forget the gravity of the gospel. We forget the beauty of what God has done for us. And so the regular gathering of breaking Bread is intentionally given by God to remind us of His goodness and His glory and His salvation that He has given us through Jesus Christ, and that we can repent, and that we can believe, and that we can be filled with God's Spirit, and that we have been purchased to be a part of God's church, His bride, His flock. And so, a spirit filled, abiding church is a worshiping church, it's a church that gathers regularly day by day day by day means more than Sundays this is the reason that we as a church have small groups this is the reason that we have monthly men's groups monthly women's groups this is why we have marriage groups this is why we have prayer meetings it's not just to be busy It's not just to be doing ministries because we see in Scripture that more regular contact together in God's Word, devoted to His teaching, in prayer, in worship, is good for the church and it brings God glory. It's not just about being busy. It's to provide more opportunities for us to rub shoulders together, to gather together in worship because why? Because God is worthy. He is worthy of all of it. And so we're here to devote ourselves joyfully to continual worship together. And that's what we've seen with them. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to God's word. They devoted themselves to sacrificial fellowship. And then we see here, lastly, that they were devoted to fervent prayer together. And in the last part of verse 42, They devoted themselves to the prayers. The first New Testament church devoted themselves to ongoing, fervent prayer. They devoted themselves to going to the Lord together for the church. As they went from the temple and as they went home to home, they would have been praying. Prayer would have been a central part of their fellowship. When Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the disciples didn't go home and give up. What did they do? Acts 1, 13 to 14. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All of them were devoting themselves to prayer. Jesus goes to heaven, they go to prayer. They were dependent, they were expectant that God was going to answer their prayers. They believed when Jesus told them that whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. They believed that. Prayer to them wasn't a last resort. It was the first resort. They believed in the power of prayer. We see this throughout all the New Testament. As the church continued in Acts, in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we see Peter and John going up to the temple to pray with others. Chapter 4, verse 31, we see the church desiring more boldness for the gospel. And so what do they do? They pray and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. God gave them boldness. It began with prayer. And then, as the church began to grow, in Acts 6, some issues arose in the church and the apostles had to delegate some practical workload to others so that they, it says in Acts 6.4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer is central. Also Acts chapter 12, when Peter was put in prison, what did the church do? Did they run away in fear? No, they fell to their knees and they prayed. And Peter was miraculously freed from prison, all because of prayer. And as you look at the church throughout the rest of the book of Acts and into the New Testament, the church was an abiding church, abiding in prayer together. When God's people assemble for God's glory, prayer is at the very heart of their gathering. Prayer to the church is the access point for power. The access point for power, for God to to divinely and sovereignly do his work through our prayers. They understood, yes, that God was in control and that he called them and commanded them to continue steadfastly in prayer. To pray without ceasing. To pray at all times in the spirit. It's the only way. They had a praying culture. It was regular. It was powerful. It was normal. If a prayer meeting was called, they would show up strong. They didn't need to twist somebody's arm to come. They delighted in prayer. And they knew that apart from seeking the Lord in prayer that their work would be in vain. So let me ask you, do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you desire more faith? Do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want your children to know the Lord? Do you want your marriage to be healthy? Do you want our church to be unified? Do you want your needs and the needs of the church to be provided for? Do you want God to be glorified in us? How about the world? Do you want your neighbors and your city and your country and the world to believe in Jesus? Let me ask you, will you gather with us regularly to pray? Because God has to do that work, and he sovereignly does that through our prayers. Alistair Begg, great preacher, says in his book, Made for Pleasure, He says, prayer is an acknowledgment that our need of God's help is not partial but total. Yet many of our church prayer meetings have dwindled in size and influence. Ultimately, the explanation can be traced to spiritual warfare. If, as the hymn writer says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees, then we may be sure that he and his minions will be working hard to discredit the value of united prayer. The evil one has scored a great victory in getting sincere believers to waver in their conviction that prayer is necessary and powerful. So, brothers and sisters, we have a prayer and worship night coming up. June 26th, Wednesday night, our place. Will you be there? Will you choose to believe in the power of prayer? Will you believe that that what we're doing here as a church can only happen if we're going to the Lord in prayer first? We see that through the book of Acts over and over and over again. They proclaim the gospel, they pray, and God builds his church over and over and over again. And just think about that. Picture the world right now in your mind and picture how far the gospel has spread. None of that would have taken place apart from prayer. And so we beseech you to be with us on June 26th. Mark that down. Wednesday night at our house. We want to be going to the Lord in prayer together. So don't miss out on that. Also with that too, don't want you to miss out on the sweetness of prayer. Don't want you to miss out on the joy of prayer. Of prayer, and and especially the joy of prayer gathered together as God's saints praying together. As you hear your brothers and sisters praying to God, seeing them go to the Lord for you and for the church and for the world. This is true belief, this is true faith that we would get on our knees together and that we would plead with the Lord to do what only he can do. Remember last week, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That happens as he builds his church through our going and through our praying. And so I'm asking you, will you devote to fervent prayer? It's one of our distinctives. Number two, fervent prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And they witnessed the Lord do amazing things. Who wants to see the Lord do amazing things through this church? When we're we're saying amazing things, we want to see people saved. We want to see this church built on people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. We want new converts to come. As as Peter preached and 3,000 people were saved, we want to see just a portion of that. We want to see darkness coming to the light. We want to see people being born again. We want to see them being forgiven of all of their sins. This, this beautiful thing that we have with Jesus Christ, we want that for them. And so we need to be praying. The first century church was an abiding church. They abided in the Lord together. They devoted themselves to receiving God's word together, to sacrificial fellowship together, to regular worship together, to fervent prayer together. And as we devote ourselves to these things, verse 47 says, they were having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love how this summary of the first New Testament church simply and clearly outlines these foundational distinctives for our church today. Because this has not changed. This is still the way God works. If we are to be God's people, assembled for God's glory, we need to be a church that abides together. Devoted to his word, devoted to fellowship, devoted to worship, and devoted to prayer. And by his grace, and by his spirit, we will bring glory to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word always reveals truth. Your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, that as your Holy Spirit uses our, your word in our hearts, uh, we can be convicted of sin. We can be challenged in areas of our life where we need to grow. We're even challenged in things that we need to stop doing so that we can be more committed to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, help our eyes to see the eternal, not just the temporary. Help our eyes to see uh, the work that is left, the urgency of what we're called to as your church, as your blood-bought bride. Lord, as we, as we see here these, these devotions, the things we need to be about, Lord, we know that we can only do this in your grace, motivated by your gospel, as we are empowered by your spirit, as we see it in your word. And so, Lord, open our eyes to the mission that you have called us, a mission of holiness, to be growing in your likeness, to be reflecting your glory back to you as you transform us but then also to be so open-handed with what we have, to be sharing it with the world as the church, as we gather together for your glory, we pray.